Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Like I said, we'll be in uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, looking at the second portion of that chapter, starting in verse 14. But uh, before we do, we uh, need to kind of get a little bit of a context, a little bit of understanding, but... Uh, to, to be able to live in someone else's shoes, and I'm not merely just speaking of someone else's, um, you know, uh, shoes in the, the similar boat that we find ourselves in, but someone's uh, more expensive shoes, a different whole, different lifestyle. You, you, uh, you know, or maybe have heard of people where money is merely not an issue for them. They don't uh, look for discounts, don't count coupons. They merely just buy whatever they want, whenever they want, um, you know, and uh, that is definitely not me. We never had a great amount of wealth in comparison to others. Uh, you might say we have tremendous wealth, but uh, specifically compared to someone like my Nana, uh, who grew up during the Great Depression. I got married, had three kids, and, and then I got pregnant with the fourth child, my dad, and uh, then, the, uh, then uh, my pop, or whatever you would call him, I'm not sure, uh, he, let me, um, my dad's dad died before my father was born. So my Nana raised um, my dad, uh, the older kid, her young, her three older kids had kind of been moved out of the house, and but he was uh, the baby of the family and, and raised him basically on basically a survivor's pension. Uh, you know, looking after all these things. And uh, so compared to my Nana, we uh, have a great, tremendous amount of wealth. But uh, even growing up in a family of eight kids, you don't uh, have what other people have, quite clearly. Uh, Very young, you realize as you go to the shoe store and and you buy a pair of shoes and you, you start calculating in your mind, well, if my parents have to buy every person a pair of shoes and they're $30 each, that's a lot of money. And the difference between 30 and $35 added up uh, times eight was quite a big thing. And I can remember having that thought process in my mind as we started to realize uh, what that is. And as you look out in the world, you see many other people with a great, tremendous amount of wealth. One time Sarah and I went on a date and uh, went out uh, to this cellar. We thought, oh yeah, this would be a nice place to get dessert. We walked in and immediately, once we walked in, we knew we were out of place. Uh, you know, you look at the, the drink list, the dessert list, and we knew. <laughs> we were in the wrong place. I uh, should have gone and got an ice cream at a fast food restaurant or something. That's more our style. But on this wine list was the Celos Blanc de Blancs, Mills de Main, Advice, Champagne. And this bottle of champagne was over $1,000. And so we ordered a dessert to share and some water to go with it. Uh, But, you know, and today we see the exact same thing when it comes to Solomon. That Solomon's wealth, uh, we've looked at his kingdom throughout the time, we've noted about this, but here, here Solomon has a great, tremendous amount of wealth during his reign. The riches that could have been found in Solomon's reign. We've seen his achievements of him building the temple, the extravagance of that temple in which he constructed, other portions of Jerusalem, his officers, his justice, his wisdom, his his other building endeavors, his commerce, his political wisdom. 
But today, specifically, we see his wealth. He, uh, what he accumulates over this period of time. And we see this particularly in this passage. In this passage, the word gold appears roughly about ten times. Uh, and here we see Solomon's wealth in all of his glory and splendor. First uh, Kings chapter 3, verse 10 and 14 is where uh, Solomon, I don't have that up on the screen, but here Solomon asks for wisdom and the Lord responds and tells him. And God said, because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or life of you, the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that no one uh, like you has been before, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare to you. All your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Uh, here we see this promise fulfilled as God has spoken, a promise fulfilled either in Psalm uh, 72, that's the Psalm either written to Solomon from David, or a song, Psalm written about Solomon by Solomon himself. But in Psalm 72, verse 15 to 16, uh, the author writes, Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked from him, for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land and the tops of the mountains. May it wave, may its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. And here we see these promises fulfilled in Solomon's time and his reign. See this in the first three verses. Um, in verses 14 to 17. Now the way to the gold that came to Solomon in one year was 60, 666 talents of gold, besides that which came from the explorers and from the business of the merchants and from all the kings of the west and from the governors of the land. King Solomon made seven, uh, 200 large shields of beaten gold, 600 shekels of gold in each, into each shield, and made 300 shields of beaten gold, Three minas of gold went into each shield, and the king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. So here he, he accumulates a large amount of gold in one year, 666 talents of gold. Now, uh, we don't need to really get uh, into the calculations, merely just to be able to say, wow, that's, that's a lot if you're counting them. Uh, any pieces of gold and you have 666 of them each year, that's going to be a large amount. But when you consider that a talent roughly weighs about 75 pounds, then uh, you have yourself an understanding of how much gold this is. Now, just into comparison, we don't measure the unit of gold in pounds. We measure it in ounces because that's how rare we kind of come across it now. And so even if we don't know anything about tra uh, translating that into today's currency, we understand this is a large amount of gold. Uh, even the scale of the term shows this amount. It's hard really to be able to formulate a, a consistent number. Gold prices fluctuate up and down. It varies based on the purity, the origins of the gold, other factors. But roughly, 
this amount of gold would be worth maybe about $1 billion a year. And this is the amount of gold that Solomon gets. Now, obviously, again, it's hard to be able to put a, a currency on that. Uh, but to put this in perspective, the royal family in England in 2021 and to 2022, their income was about $106 million. So just to put it in comparison to the size and the scope of, of what this is, roughly Solomon's kingdom, if it was around today, would be 10 times more affluent than the royal family in England today. Uh, again, it's not perfect, but maybe a, a size, but we understand that it's, it's scope. Even if this is an exaggeration, uh, now we have no reason to, to believe the author of, of Scripture is exaggerating this, but um, you know the Bible teaches us truth and is written by truth, and, and they value truth over pride. Um, but even if it is, it's not. But even if it is, the, the point is, it's a lot of money that Solomon comes into his kingdom each time. And you can understand where all these buildings are coming from through this money. That uh, here the political strength of Israel is amazing. Kings would be able to come and, and give large amounts of money uh, so that they can have alliances. Solomon is a person you want to have on your team. Uh, Australia really is a small nation, but we have always sided with America. I think there's a common bond between our uh, histories and, and connections, both uh, you know, stemming from England in, in some ways. But in, in, in reality, Australia is not a powerhouse when it comes to military. Uh, we have a couple of stories where we have aided and hopefully had some impact on a global scale. But in reality, we need a bigger brother to help protect us. And so we form alliances with America basically to be able to help them. But also, if anything was to happen to us, we hope that you would help us. Um, uh, and so here, this is what would happen in these times. Many kings would want to be able to make sure you, you've got a, a strong, affluent uh, country with a strong army on your side and not on your as an enemy. And this this gold is large. Again, it could be year after year. This is exactly what it is. It could be the highest uh, income that he had a, a good particular year. But here, you, you see even what Solomon then starts to do with this gold. He he gets this gold. He he um, starts to decorate his house in the forest of Lebanon. He makes shields, 600 shekels, uh, roughly about seven and a half pounds each. Again, in that, that currency today, roughly about $33.5 million on these shields that he spends here. And then you have the 200 shields of three minas, which is about half of that, so uh, 3.75 pounds each. And they're about $25 million dollars worth of shields, merely just to decorate, decorative pieces. We're told that they're hung up in the forest of Lebanon. Now, you come home from Hobby Lobby, or in my case, you know, somewhere Home Depot or, or Lowe's, or you go somewhere, wherever, home, home, and, home and decor, and, and, you know, your spouse asks you, well, these shields are lovely. Where did you get them? Well, you would not believe that a deal that I got on them only spent $25 million dollars. You know, the extravagance of this decoration here is hard to be able to put into perspective. But here we're seeing Solomon's reign in, in all of its glory and all of its splendor. The, the influence of Solomon and the peace that brings in a long reign of a king. 
Now we'll see as, as we progress through Kings, that's not always the case. Often, actually, when the, the rains get shorter and shorter, more devastation comes upon the town, uh, the, the, the nation. So we see all of this wealth. We see also the throne. You see this in verses 18 to 20. And Sol- King also made a great ivory throne and overlaid it with the finest gold. The throne had six, six steps, and the throne had a round top. And on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests, while twelve lions stood there, each one on each end of the step of the six steps, and like uh, the like of it was never made in any kingdom. So uh, again, we see uh, he has now a throne and he builds this throne. And this throne is not merely, look what I have thrown together with these scraps that I have. This throne is an, an extravagant uh, beautiful, masterful uh, throne. Again, it's hard to find pictures of this. Here are some artist renditions of what it looks like. But it's not merely just a statement of the size of it and the detail. But here we have that image of that established throne which God had spoken of in David. That here we actually have the physical throne which is now that image. David's son sits on a physical throne. And he rules over a physical kingdom, one that can be seen, one that can be measured in all of its grandeur and all of its splendor. That throne which is promised in 2 Samuel 7, now we actually have that physical throne to be able to look at. The Lion of Judah, the King of the Beasts, sits around it. And here, that image, this really is the golden days. Literally, everything was golden, but... It was golden days. Everything was just flourishing in this kingdom. Wealth and affluence. The buildings that went in, the internal buildings, the external exports and trades, the political alliances, the friendships, the bonds. Not only were we just told about his throne, but we're told even about what he drinks from, cups, in verse 21. And all of Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. Here you just imagine this image. Again, we later in the passage it speaks about silver being like rocks. But here, Solomon just so affluent. Now, just briefly... It is interesting, when we looked at Solomon's building endeavors previously, we made a specific comment that gold was something that was in the temple. The gold was something that was held for those things that are used in the temple for holy purposes. And specifically, everything in the temple was overlaid with gold. But yet, when we stepped into Solomon's house, that was absent. But now we're seeing this, this gold is starting to appear in Solomon's house. Now, I think you can read maybe too much into this. Um, you know, but here, gold just becomes such a common thing that it just is overlaid with anything. The silver, even today, you know, the price of silver in comparison to gold is, is, is minuscule. Uh, but even more so in this day, because of the affluence, because of the, the frequency of, of gold, then silver was merely just nothing worthless, you might say. 
We also see these, um, all these other things that come in in verse 22. That for the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish, the sea, at sea, and the fleet of Hiram. Once he, every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come, uh, come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. Now, this is one of the furthest ports from uh, where Israel is located. And when Jonah flees, uh, he, he seeks to be able to travel to the, the furthest end of the sea, end of the, end of the world, you might say. And here Solomon is going to be able to go to this port trade, uh, this, this trade of port, uh, port of trade, uh, to be able to collect all these things. And so he goes and he gathers against gold, silver, ivory, uh, apes, peacocks, just a, an elaborate thing. Now we, we get maybe a, a glimpse of where he, uh, he, he loves wisdom, loves learning about God's creation as we saw in, in chapter 4. When God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and the breadth of the mind like the sand of the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and the wisdom of Egypt, he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, and Calco, and Darda, and the sons of Malo, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He, also, he spoke also of beasts, of birds, of reptiles, and fish. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. And so here you, you see him gathering these items up to maybe even be able to study of apes and peacocks and, and uh, all of God's creation. But again, just the extravagance here of being able to import all of these things, traveling to the, to the edge of the world to be able to bring them back. And we see even the frequency there that it says every three years, you know, out and in, out and in, uh, the wealth that, that has all of these time it, during this time. But here we see um, him compared all of these things are extravagant but here in in verses 23 to 25 we see the extravagance compared to all the kings of the earth that here thus king solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom and the whole earth sought the presence of solomon to hear his wisdom which god had put in his into his mind every one of them brought his presence articles of silver and gold garments myrrh spices horses and mules so much year by year so you can see where this is kind of coming from as well, as political alliances, but even just people coming to be able to hear and see Solomon's, to be able to, to see his building endeavors, how he rules his kingdom, uh, to be able to see all of these things. And they would come bringing all these gifts to him. Um, we see again this kind of fulfillment, partial shadow fulfillment of of the kingdom of God is, is represented in Psalm 2, where at the end it says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So here this this sense of the Son of David uh, is to be uh, kissed, worshipped, and, and this is what we see 
maybe not a word worshipped, but come to be able to see him. And we can see how all of this gold comes into Solomon's hands, not merely just from the uh, the the import, the the um, the economic economy in Israel, but all these kings coming to be able to give to Solomon and maybe possibly out give one another. And we see this this accumulative uh, effect of what is happening, this 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 uh, amazing kingdom. And what you see is he, he gathers more things in verse 26 to 29. We're told that Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. And he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Cephalah. And Solomon's import of horses was from Egypt and Kew. And Solomon's traders received them from Kew at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so, through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and to the kings of Syria. So we see, again, another great height and pinnacle in the nation of Israel where King Solomon is is importing and then exporting. He's importing all these horses and chariots and then sending them out and making a profit as he sells them on to other kings. Um, he, he, he's gathering all these things. Um, at a, uh, was waiting at the mechanic the other day, and an older gentleman came in. He was, uh, he was 86 years old, and he started t- talking to me about uh, different events in his life. And he, he started talking about Harry Truman. And he says, I, I didn't, wasn't necessarily on the party lines of Harry Truman, but we really never had a man quite like him. And he, and he held this, this era up in time and, and the negotiations in which he had and, and uh, his power, his determination. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's talking about the heyday. And I've heard many a time different stories in different areas. Heydays here in Glade, busy Friday nights where the, the town center was bustling and people were sitting there, uh, train stations, busy towns, uh, and they they speak of that that time that once was, uh, that that tie, that pinnacle, that great time they have memories of, um, and you see that all over uh, different places. And and now these towns are, are struggling really to survive or to be able to find their identity as as uh, different things, big businesses close down or shift or different adjustments like that. Uh, you know there might be heydays in your mind. You think about those great accomplishments like putting man on the moon, uh, other great things that have been done, and, and you think about what they were, what they were like. And if you were to choose anywhere in the Old Testament to be able to look at and go, this was the time. This was one of the heights during the Old Testament time. This would have, have to have been one of the pinnacle points in the nation of Israel. To see David on the throne would have been a great, tremendous thing to be able to see. But to live during the time where Solomon was reigning would have been quite the other. To be able to go out and we're told that here, silver is just like stone. You know, kids going out picking up rocks and instead they're just picking up silver and just throwing them, skipping silver down uh, the road or something. And... 
to, to think about where they had come from in Deuteronomy chapter 26 when they're recounting uh, the story of the Passover. It begins by saying, And she'll make a response before the Lord your God. A wandering Armenian was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a great uh, a nation, great, mighty, and populous. And then you might say one of the pinnacles is during the time of Solomon. They became a great and mighty nation in amongst all other nations. Not merely just great in number, but of power, of might, of wealth. And, and here is the heyday. Now they might, like most heydays, they have their twilight. They have their end. Great empires crumble and fall. We know what's coming. Chapter 11, right around the corner. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Along the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. But before that, we need to understand that here, the good king, bad king. This was not merely out of the blue. We've known for quite a while about the dangers and the red flags that we've seen. Right at the very beginning in chapter 3, we're told that here Solomon made a marriage alliance with the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. But here, even in this passage, which we see of this great wealth, we also need to be reminded exactly the, the warning given in Scripture of kings. We'll look at this even more next week, but we often think Solomon's downfall was his love of his many wives. Actually, that's not Solomon's downfall. Solomon's downfall, actually, we'll find out next week, is that he did not love the Lord. His heart was turned. And even here in this time, we see all of this great wealth. But this is the warning that we're told in Deuteronomy chapter 17. The warning which is given for kings... When you come into to the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then I say, I will set a king over me, like all the other nations around me, you may indeed set a king over you, whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your, own, your brothers you shall set as king over you. You shall not put a foreigner over you, who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself, or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Or, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the, the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book, a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it in all of the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up 
above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, neither to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. And here, this law reminds us of these warnings of what the king needs to be aware of. It's not merely just the many wives. Verses in 16 and 17 specifically. He must not acquire horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to require many horses. Since the Lord your God has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many lives, wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Here there's three major things that the king is warned to stay away from. Horses, and specifically horses from Egypt. Now what does Solomon do? Solomon starts importing, exporting horses. Where? From Egypt. The wise, we'll get to that next week but also silver and gold. Now you can spend your time arguing excessive silver and gold. What does that word excessive mean? Just like what does the word many wives mean? You could speak to a lawyer about that, but here we see this wealth in Solomon's kingdom as a warning of his turning, of a warning of his life, of a warning of his love, a warning of his heart. That we often merely think that there is one downfall in Solomon. The truth is that Solomon has many downfalls, many things that lead him astray. And the tragic tale of this wealth is the warnings of a king with a wicked heart. Where is Solomon's throne? Where are Solomon's shields? Where is Solomon's wealth and all of his gold? That here, we understand now, when the scripture speaks of Solomon, it speaks of something greater. Solomon, in all of his wisdom in Matthew chapter 12. As nothing, something greater than Solomon is here. Look at the lilies of the field. Even Solomon, when he was clothed in all of his glory, chapter 10 of 1 Kings, has nothing compared to the lilies of the field. And we see this Warning of Solomon. A great warning for us as well. That here, Solomon's heart is turning and shifting at some point in his life. Now we don't know what it's like. We're going to delve more into that deeply next week. We don't know what time. You know, we see this blessing upon him, but yet we see this these great warning signs that he is breaking the top three rules that a king should not break. And when we're asking the question that is asked in First Kings and Second Kings, 
Who is going to be David's son who sits on his throne forever? Who is going to rule and love the Lord as David loved the Lord? And we begin to see that it's not Solomon. All this anticipation, all this hype of what Solomon is built up to be, and we don't see it. We know and we have our warnings. But that's where we love that we're not merely looking at the heyday during the Old Testament. That we have a greater heyday to come. Heyday underneath Christ. With all of His riches, all of His splendor, all of His glory, without blemish, without uh, problems of sin. But you see that in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 3, the one who conquers, verse 21. I will grant to him to sit on with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Revelation 7. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our Lord, who, our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders of the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12. And I saw the great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for him. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Not merely just the the throne, but the gold in, in Revelation chapter 21. The city is not merely just the house, not merely just the throne, not merely just the shields, but the wall was built of jasper while the city was a pure gold like clear glass. When we look at Solomon, there's a sense in where we just stand and stand in awe and go, wow, what great wealth. But the example in the New Testament is that is contrast and Solomon is less than that. Greater is Christ's kingdom. Then Solomon's, where we begin to understand as Peter writes about the riches and the wealth that Christ has that he gives to those, as Paul does in, first, in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the Lord our God who, who gave the wealth as an inheritance to us, or as in First Peter chapter 3. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy who has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are able to guard, guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for an hour or a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that you have tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy in this inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. 
here this this blessing, the riches which is given to to Christ as he sits on the throne, and even now as he blesses the church with the the giving of gifts and 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 spiritual gifts to the church to be able to edify, to build them up. These blessings which fade in Solomon's day, which will be gone, passed on to another king, another kingdom which is fleeting and perishing, a throne which will be destroyed and lost. But yet we look forward to that that heyday to come, where Christ comes. He sits on his throne, rules perfectly, distributes wealth to all of those, this inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us. What a glorious thing it is when we read stories like this to think, wow, what a, what a time to live. But then think, this has nothing to be to the time that we will live. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.